Hey, where are you going, Jim? The elevator's over here. Taking the stairs. But our meeting's up on 8. Yeah, I know. But that's eight floors up. That's like eight times eight. I don't A lot of stairs. That's the point. I've already lost a few pounds and earned almost $100 in wellness incentives. Whoa, you're getting rewarded for working out? Yeah, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are, Bob. Fearless is full of surprises. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits and sign up at fepblue.org slash choose blue by December 11th. You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Packers Behind Enemy Lines podcast. This is Bill Huber from Packer Report. And the records, Art Stapleton. Art, how you doing? I'm doing well, Bill. How are you? Real good, thanks. Um, we're just talking off air a bit about obviously the, the Odell Beckham stuff is kind of a the nationwide shatter. You know him better than anybody. What kind of kid is Odell? You know, he's driven. He's definitely passionate. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to escape that emotional tag. Uh, but you know, the reality is that you're talking about a competitive kid who's been branded a diva, and he's beloved by teammates and coaches. Uh, so right now, you know, the entire incident with Josh Norman last year has kind of branded him in a way that he's never going to move past it in the eyes of so many. Uh, so anything he does to veer towards that line is going to swing the perception of what he does clearly over it. So... It's, uh, it's an interesting dynamic here with the Giants because anything a teammate says it can be interpreted one of two ways. Either they're defending him or they're calling him out. You know, and I think there's a little bit of both. You know, Eli Manning in his post-game press conference in Minnesota mentioned the idea that, you know, well, you know, Beckham did bring some of this on himself, which is completely accurate. And I think anyone, including Odell Beckham Jr., would admit that his role, his involvement, and his role in the incident with Norman last year created all of this, uh, and then it was perceived as very, you know, here's Manning pushing Beckham under the bus. So it's uh, it's been a wild couple of weeks for the Giants and for their first year head coach Ben McAdoo, who uh, people out, you know, in, in your neck of the woods know know pretty well for his connection to the Packers. But uh, look, the Giants are waiting for Beckham to have his big breakout rather than a blow-up. And I think that will be the, uh, the storyline Sunday night regardless. What, what do you, he's had some good games. I mean, he hasn't scored a touchdown either. What, 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 27 touchdowns in his first two years, something like that? What's, yeah. what, what's, what's the story there? Is, is it just defense has taken him away, or what, what's going on? Well, he dropped the touchdown uh, in week two against the Saints late in the game. Uh, I think teams are treating him differently. You know, he did. He did have seven catches for 121 yards right. against the Redskins. Uh, and six of those at 101 yards were against Norman uh, in single coverage. So Beckham had a good game. Uh, I just think that it's just the pro- uh, progress right now, the progression in the Giants' offense. You know, they need to get the ball in the hands of Beckham, Sterling Shepard, and Victor Cruz. And I think this offense has gotten bogged down. Uh, to the point where they make a mistake, whether it's a penalty or a turnover, uh, and they just they can't get over that hump. Uh, I would expect a big game from Beckham on Sunday night against the Packers. I know uh, the Packers secondary is banged up, but um, I think that this is the week that, that Beckham is going to 
you know, light up the scoreboard a little bit and people might see the guy that they're used to seeing and expected to see uh, over the first four games. What sort of impact has, has McAdoo had on Manning, do you think? You know, I think this offense is suited to, to what Manning needed to be later in his career. Uh, I think that the quick strike, uh, re- remaking himself his footwork, uh, I think the McAdoo-Manning relationship, while you would think initially would have been very difficult, uh, you know, let's, let's be honest, McAdoo comes in as an offensive coordinator with a brand-new offense uh, two seasons ago, and Manning loses the, the offensive coordinator that he won two Super Bowls with, with Kevin Gilbride. Uh, and he adjusted to his credit. Uh, I think McAdoo really tweaked some things in Manning's game. And I think the two of them have worked well together. Uh, to this point, uh, I think McAdoo as a head coach has been everything that Manning needed, uh, considering he spent his entire career with Tom Coughlin as his head coach. Uh, but it, it, it remains to be seen where they go from here. You know, Manning has to pick his play up a little bit uh, off of the first couple, off the first four weeks, he put up a lot of yardage, but he's had some mistakes. Uh, and I think some of his reads within this offense, you'd like to see him get the ball in the hands of, like I said, a Beckham, a Shepard, or a Cruz. And in key situations, he's put the ball in the hands of a Will Ty, who's a second-year tight end, uh, Shane Vereen, who at the time was hurt uh, in the last play against the Redskins. And he's throwing a fade to 5-8 Bobby Rainey against the Redskins in the end zone. Sometimes the reads, the best reads of his offense might not be the ones he's getting to. I think he needs to find them. So is that why the Giants rank so high in yards but so low in points? Is that kind of the story there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, look, they, their offense line has played pretty well, but it's kind of a chicken and egg kind of thing. You know, is the offensive line playing well because – they're scheming around it and protecting it with quick passes, different types of runs that aren't going to put them in a situation where they need to be a, a bruising physical line in the run game because that's not what they are. They are in certain spots, uh, center Weston Richburg, left guard Justin Pugh, Eric Flowers, a left tackle, can be a, a bruising run blocker. Uh, but this offense, you know, they're good for – you know, second and short, and they get a penalty, and now they're in second and long. Uh, and that's where they struggle. You know, that's where most teams struggle. You know, this team turnover differential, their their defense hasn't forced a, ten, a turnover yet this year, and their offense has committed turnovers. Uh, you know, they're just giving the ball away. So I think this offense right now, as much as McAdoo believes it's on the verge of a breakout, uh, I think they still have to prove that they can protect the football and go from zero to 60 rather than, you know, stop and start, stop and start, punt. And I think that's a major factor going into Green Bay. Uh, Green Bay's run defense is number one in the NFL by a mile. Um, I know you guys are beat up in the backfield a bit. Is this a game where Manning just throws the ball 50 times? You know, I think it has to be. I mean, you know there's Packers defense. Uh, some of the pieces I know are, are banged up up front. Uh, but, look, I think this is going to be a Rodgers-Manning show on Sunday night. I think maybe we get the game that a lot of Giants fans and a lot, a lot of people around the NFL thought they would get at that life in week two when Drew Brees and Eli Manning 
reunited off of that 52-49 game last year down in New Orleans. I think the Giants are going to throw the ball all over the field. I think what they what they did on Monday night in Minnesota. You guys were there. You know what kind of atmosphere that was. Mm-hmm. I think they were they were nervous uh, and concerned going in that that Vikings defensive front was going to wreck the offensive line and get to Manning. So I think they called some plays to kind of protect themselves. But the Giants are going to try to run the football a little bit. But I, I think they know what their strength is, and they need to play to their strength. And that's the three wide receivers and Manning kind of picking and choosing down, choosing down the field. So that's what I would anticipate uh, come Sunday night. So 50 throws, maybe. But I'd say uh, I'd say yeah, I would expect the passing game to look to get off early against the Packers. How, how have your tackles held up? Um, I know coming out there's some de- debate whether Flowers is a left tackle or a right tackle. Yeah. Uh, Packer fans know all too well Marshall Newhouse's limitations. I guess I, I was curious how those guys are doing protection-wise because Green Bay's pass rush has been pretty good. Well, Newhouse hasn't played the last two weeks with a calf injury, uh, and he's been replaced by last year's seventh-round pick, Bobby Hart, out of Florida State. A really young kid the Giants took as a project. He was only just barely 20 years old when he was drafted. Uh, so we'll start with Flowers. First off, you know, Flowers has been inconsistent. You know, he's good for a penalty a game. He had a face mask that really killed the drive against the Redskins two weeks ago. Uh, but I think overall he played pretty well against the Vikings. Uh, and, and we know how good that defensive front is. Hart has played the last two weeks, and he's held up pretty well. Uh, you know, I, I was a little surprised that, that he wasn't exploited more against the Vikings. I think maybe Zimmer dropped, you know, Mike Zimmer dropped uh, some more guys into coverage and didn't necessarily dial up blitz the way he had been doing the first couple weeks. Uh, but the Giants are vulnerable at the tackle position. But if they can get those guys to play within the offense, you know, this offensive line has not been uh, as bad as what really was indicated in the preseason where they struggle. You know, Newhouse is out of his protective boot, but I still think if Bobby Hart continues to play the way he's playing, I don't know if Newhouse gets that right tackle job back. I think Hart... Hart can kind of solidify his spot there. Uh, the fact that Eli Manning wasn't sacked against the Vikings, who came in, as we know, a ferocious unit. Mm-hmm. You know, they sacked, they sacked Cam Newton eight times. Uh, I think, it, again, it goes back to that chicken and egg. Did the Giants protect Manning? Yes, absolutely. But also, you got to give that offensive line credit for the fact that they didn't give up any sacks against a team that was making a living off of sacking the quarterback. Speaking of pass rush, where's your guys' rush? I mean, I, I'm you, you, you look at the names and they're great, but you have, the Giants have four sacks tour by DBs, I think. Yep, yeah, Vernon and Olivier Vernon and, and uh, Jason Pierre-Paul have played well, but they don't have the sacks to show for it. You know, they have a lot of pressures, but they're not getting to the quarterback. Uh, this entire defensive unit, uh, as I mentioned earlier, no takeaways. I think that's kind of the... Uh, you know, the, the, really the, the asterisk on this defense, the idea that they have no takeaways in the first four weeks of the season, that can't happen uh, with this team. Uh, but Vernon and, and JPP, they were banged up in week two. They've played pretty well against the run. This defense has played well against the run. Uh, but the bottom line is you make your money as an edge rusher by how many sacks you have. And Vernon has one and JPP has one. 
uh, I, I think, again, they're waiting for that breakout. And we all know, though, the way these things work, you may think it's close, but close is never good enough until it actually happens. And I'm not necessarily sure that this is the week that the Giants can go out there and, and batter Aaron Rodgers uh, into making mistakes. It's not that kind of quarterback. So it remains to be seen. I mean, they're good. They're good for a good play game for JPP and Vernon. Against the Redskins, they both had big plays uh, at pivotal moments of the game. But then Vernon was also whistled for helmet-to-helmet contact on a sack of Kirk Cousins in Week 2 that really swung that game around. You know, sometimes when you're a pass rusher, those things happen, and it's automatic. Uh, I think Vernon has overcome uh, a wrist injury, that what he called a little bee sting. I think it affected him the last couple weeks. I think both of them will be back there healthy on Sunday night. It remains to be seen how much production they can put up on the field. Uh, a, a schematic question for you. I think uh, Spagnolo's um, MO was blitzing, if I recall. I asked Randall Cobb about that yesterday. He looked like he looked at me like I had a third eye. Um, are, are, are the Giants blitzing, or are they playing it pretty pretty close to the vest? What, what are they doing? The Giants blitzed a ton in Week One uh, and in Week Two against the Saints. Week One against the Cowboys. Week Two against the Saints. You know they were a little nervous Week One against a rookie quarterback in Dak Prescott, especially for his run ability. Uh, but I think what you saw against Minnesota, especially, is that they were nervous about blitzing because of the absence of Dominique Rogers, Camardi, and Eli Apple in the secondary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were also missing two starting safeties, rookie Darian Thompson and Matt Burhey, who was out with a concussion. Uh, so they have four guys that they count on in the secondary out of the game against Minnesota. So I think they were more conservative than maybe they would have liked to be. I don't believe they blitzed Sam Bradford. I don't have the exact percentages, but they did not bring the heat at all against Bradford. I think they were concerned about ex- getting exploited uh, in coverage. They had a, a, a reserve guy in Trevin Wade out there playing on the outside. You know, He gave up some big plays against Minnesota. So I, I would expect if, if DRC and Eli Apple – are back on the field this week, and the Giants get Matt Burray back from concussion protocol to pair with Landon Collins, I think you may see more blitzing this week uh, against the Packers than maybe you saw each of the last two weeks just based on the injuries that the Giants have had to overcome in the secondary. I mean, and Green Bay knows all about injuries in the secondary, you know, with with Sam Shields and now Demarius Randall, who knows what uh, what that situation is going to be. Now, maybe you can uh, shed light on that, but I would imagine down two corners, that, that's not a good situation to go into a passing offense. No, it's not. The, the Packers' passing offense has been terrible. Um, their quarterbacks are averaging 330 yards a game against those guys. Shields has missed the last two games of the concussion. Um, he didn't practice Wednesday. I, I highly doubt he's going to play. He's been their top guy. Um, and that's put Demarius Randall last year's top pick into that number one corner role, and he's he's really struggled with that. I, I would expect I would expect Eli Manning just to go at him relentlessly, and I, I would think it'll be Randall against OBJ would be the the logical matchup there. It, you know, interesting. You know, Randall in that first game against Jacksonville, he saw a lot of of uh, Allen Robinson, the Jaguars Pro Bowl receiver, right. and really helped and really shut him down. Robinson didn't do much of anything in that game. But then he goes up against Diggs of Minnesota in week two. And Diggs gets 180 yards. Week three, 
He faced a lot of Marvin Jones, and Jones had like a 205 yards, and that wasn't all on Randall. But I would say, you know, more than half of it was. Right. So we talked to Randall on Monday, and he was pretty good about it. He, he blamed himself for it, and he basically said, you know what, maybe he needs to improve his focus, improve his study habits, and, uh, you know, and treat everybody like a pro bowler rather than, you know, maybe going a little extra hard for a pro bowler but backing up a little bit against a, a lesser kind of guy. So I would expect Randall to be at his best against OBJ. Now, whether his best is good enough is a whole other question. Right. I mean, it, you know, the thing is, I, I look at, you know, we, we've seen the Giants and, and the Vikings did a really good job. I mean, let's be honest, what Giants fans are up in arms, they, you know, the you lose 24-10 in, in Minnesota and, you know, it's all, what was me, the, you know, the team is back to where they were the last two years, 6-10, and 6-10, and 10, at the exit of Tom Coughlin. But you and I have both seen Minnesota the last two weeks. Uh, you know, up close and personal. That's a great defense that this, that these two teams have gone against. So I mean, look at what Minnesota did to Aaron Rodgers, to Cam Newton, and to Eli Manning. It's really remarkable, considering. So you know, as much as we want to look at transitive property in the NFL, I mean, I don't think the Giants can look at the Packers and judge them based on their performance against Minnesota. And I certainly don't think. The Packers can look at the Giants and judge their offense based on what they did against Minnesota. I, you know what? It, it, I think I read it's eight consecutive games of 17 points or less for the Vikings. And that's what? I think it's two games against Newton, two against Rodgers, two against uh, Eli. And I think Russell Wilson's in there too. So, I mean, it is, that is a great defense. You're, and you're right. I, I think. I know Packer fans are all doom and gloom after that Minnesota game too, but you know to see what they've done, I think it's almost to be expected. Um, how, how, how... You're talking about probably the best. It's probably the best team in the NFC right now. I mean, uh, I, I don't, I'm not looking at just being undefeated, but I mean that team, Bradford seems to fit that offense like a glove. And considering they lost their quarterback and their running back, uh, and, and not just a running back. Yeah. Our old all-timer. Uh, it's been pretty impressive. So I'm interested to see how the Giants show some resiliency against the Packers because that won't be an easy easy place to play. Uh, but I definitely think that as much as Randall on uh, OBJ, uh, I'm also interested to see how the Packers uh, cover Cruz and Sterling Shepard because uh, those two guys in the Giants' two wins – were really the ones that made defenses pay with all the attention uh, given to Odell Beckham Jr. So I'm just curious from from your perspective, with all the diff- with all the attention on Randall, um, what do the Packers have behind him in order to to cover Shepard and Cruz? Yeah, Quinton Rounds is their slot guy. Uh, while Randall was their first rounder in, in 15, Rounds is their second round pick. I'm not sure if Giants fans know that Quinton Rounds. He played four years. He was the the point guard at Miami of Ohio. Um, he was persuaded to go try football as a senior. He tried out, ended up getting like seven picks as a senior. So he was Green Bay's second round pick. He he he'll take the slot, which would be Shepard. In their third corner, again, assuming Shields hasn't played, their third corner is Ladarius Gunter, an undrafted guy last year from the University of Miami. He is a tall, physical press coverage guy. He also ran like four or six at the combine, so I, I would, you know, I, I know Cruz is, you know, his his best athletic days are probably behind him, but 
but I, I would expect them to, to, you know, maybe test Gunter a, a time or two deep. You know, if, if, if Gunter gets his jam, he's a really good corner. If Gunter misses a jam, those, those limitations really show up, though. Gotcha. I mean, and that's where, with this Giants offense, and they didn't do it much against Minnesota, again, because I think they were, they were concerned that, that if they spread it out and, and opened it up a little bit, uh, they would have been extremely vulnerable to that pass rush. I would expect the Giants to, and when, you, when the Packer fans are seeing this Giants offense, they're probably going to be looking for green and thinking they're maybe seeing, they're seeing blue, yeah. thinking they're seeing green and yellow, because they want to use these weapons the way the Packers traditionally have used their weapons. Interchangeable parts, moving Beckham, Shepard, and Cruz all over the field. Uh, so I would expect to see some Shepard on the outside, some Cruz in the slot, I think they're going to move Beckham all over the place to see what kind of matchups they can get. Uh, but it is going to be interesting from your perspective watching the Giants' offense. And I got to imagine you're going to be seeing a lot of what the Packers and what you're familiar with seeing uh, from your own offense out there in this offense, the Giants. You know, interesting. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers was asked about about that yesterday at his locker. He was asked, you know, there's probably not there's not too many guys in the league who know. Rodgers better than, than McAdoo does, and Rodgers kind of looked at it as a two-way street, though. He figured that Green Bay's defense will have a bit of an edge against the Giants' offense and vice versa. I mean, I would think McAdoo brought the same language with as well. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's the personnel, it's, this, the, it's the packages, the scheme, the language. Yeah, it, it, you know, both teams are going to go three receiver sets, shotgun, basically the whole game long. I, I think it has to be some advantage to, to the Giants that McAdoo can go into the defensive room and say, this is why I know about Jordy Nelson. This is why I know about Aaron Rodgers and that kind of stuff. I, I would think as much as everybody downplayed it, including McAdoo in his conference call with us, I, I would think it's a big advantage, to the, or maybe not a big advantage, but a, an advantage nonetheless. Yeah, I would agree. I think, um, you know, sometimes that's a little, you know, we, we overplay it or we undersell it depending on which way it goes. I mean, you know, I don't know necessarily. I think, I think Mike McCarthy – and Aaron Rodgers are pretty aware of what uh, what McAdoo may know about them. So maybe they go against tendency a little bit uh, with this Giants defense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, look, it, Ben McAdoo has been very, you know, the word was stoic used yesterday by Justin Pugh, uh, one of the Giants' top offensive linemen. He said McAdoo's been stoic. You know, he, he has not really talked much about his emotions of going back to Lambeau Field. But I find it very hard to believe that Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Ben McAdoo is not going to have a lot of flashbacks about what it means to go against Mike McCarthy, one of his coaching mentors, Aaron Rodgers, one of the quarterbacks that Ben McAdoo mentioned the day he got the job uh, with the Giants and thanked Rodgers for making him a better coach. Um, you know, So it's definitely not an overblown story. I mean, we open the show with the Beckham stuff, and we can debate all we want about how overblown or underplayed the story is. But McAdoo going back to Lambeau Field, there really is something there for him. Uh, I mean, his, you know, infatuation has a negative connotation sometimes, but I think his infatuation with Mike McCarthy and the McCarthy way, there's no denying it. I mean, McAdoo... You know, the Coach Mac, Coach Mac relationship going back to 2002 when they met uh, in a lobby in the Indianapolis hotel during the scouting combine because McAdoo drove 800 
miles through a storm just to beat, just to meet Mike McCarthy and have a chance to bounce things off them. Uh, it says a lot about their relationship. So I'm interested to see them pre-game, after the game especially, uh, see how they attack one another because there's definitely a sense of familiarity. That's what I got out of it too. You know, we, I asked McCarthy right off the bat at his Wednesday press conference about it, and McCarthy went right away to, well, I'm focusing on how, to, how they're going to line up against us and how we're going to attack them and yada, yada, yada. Both guys are downplaying it so much. It was either, A, they don't care, which you, which you know isn't true, or B, it's a really big deal to them, and they're just trying to change the subject. So I think, I think, it, is a, I think it is a very big deal, and I'll, I'll be interested to get to Lambeau Field on, on Sunday just to kind of stare at the field and, and watch, the, watch the international when they, when they finally meet at midfield or wherever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, I think their personalities are similar, too. I mean, I can't speak too much to, to McCarthy. Obviously, that's you know, somebody that you know well. But as far as McAdoo goes at least in the first four weeks and, and really since the beginning of training camp. He plays everything close to the vest. Uh, you know, he kind of raised eyebrows here before the season opener, his first game as a head coach in the NFL, when he said he wouldn't have any family in the stands in Dallas. Uh, people were kind of like, wait, what? why wouldn't you have your family there? It's, you know, it's a big moment for you. And he said, that's just the way I do things. We don't bring the family on the road. It's just the way I believe it needs to be done. I mean, he's all business. He's a guy who grew up, you know, in this coaching profession, feeling like he needed to grind for everything he got. Uh, and I think that's probably a little bit of Mike McCarthy as well. Uh, so the similarities, it will be very interesting to see, you know, we're not talking oil and water here. So, you know, you're talking oil and oil. So I'm interested to see how, how they deal with one another uh, and after the game, will it be a, well, McCarthy got the best of McAdoo or vice versa? Because you know they're going to have their hands all over uh, each individual offense performance. So um, I, I'm interested. I can't wait to get to Lambeau. I've never been. Uh, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the scene. And I think as much as the atmosphere in Minnesota for the Giants was an, an, awe, uh, an awesome experience, and they were a little awestruck, I think, I think this Lambeau experience, I think they walk in with a little bit more confidence than maybe they had in Minnesota. I would think so. You know, everyone talks about the Lambeau Field mystique, but I, I don't think it's a great home field advantage. I mean, it's, it's a great stadium. I'm not saying that, but, I mean, it's, it's not like Minnesota. You can, you can communicate there, I think, for the most part. I mean, I remember the Detroit game a couple weeks ago where, you know, Jordy Nelson made a big play and he incited the, cr- the crowd to go crazy. And then he, then he told us, yeah, I, I kind of wish they were that low when their defense is on the field. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a tremendous home field advantage. And you're right, they'll, they'll be confident. Eli Manning with the, the playoff wins in, in 2007, 2011, though they will, he will not be in awe. And I mean, he's the leader of that bunch. And I think they will, they will definitely follow his lead on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be very interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it seems as though the strengths of both teams match up with perceived weaknesses. You know, the Giants are banged up in the secondary. The Packers are banged up in the secondary. You know, I, I'm ready. First of 40, let's go. I mean, <laughs> it's a night game, any, night game anywhere on Sunday. Let's go past, uh, you know, push it up towards midnight. I'm sure, sure, you know, fans will love it. The ratings are soar. You know, they've got to outlast the debate, right? And I think the second presidential debate is on uh, Sunday night as well. So 
Manning and Rodgers have to give him something to talk about. Yeah, that beats Trump and Clinton. <laughs> Rodgers talked about that in his locker. He said, you know, talked about the, the the, the, the ratings would be great, and he was talking about how disappointed he was that these were the two candidates. So it's kind of, yeah, I, th- I think if given your drillers, I think you would definitely take a uh, little Sunday Night Football for sure over these guys. Yeah, I would think so. I think, uh, I don't think there's going to be 80 million people tuning in for debate number two. I think you might get uh, some of that audience, especially if the Giants can keep it close early and make it entertaining. I think uh, Manning Rogers might get top billing over Trump Clinton on Sunday night. Who, who, who do you like to win? You know, I, I think the Giants are gonna are gonna get in there. I'm assuming you're you're asking Giants Packers and not Clinton. <laughs> yes, we'll, yes, I'll go. Yes, we'll go for the. We'll stick with the game. <laughs> um, you know, I think the Giants are gonna win this one. I do. I, I think um, I think they're gonna open it up a little bit. I think they feel the pressure and the urgency. Uh, I, I am a little concerned. From a Giants perspective, that the Packers are coming off a bye, so they've had a lot more time to prepare. And we talk about that familiarity. Uh, but I think the Giants are going to win a high-scoring game. I'd say 37-31 uh, Giants. Um, I-, I think this is the week that Beckham needs to break out. I, I think you know, he needs it for himself more than anything else. I don't think he's bothered by the media attention as much as he's frustrated that he has not performed to the level that he expects himself to perform to. So I think this is the week that the Giants put it all together offensively uh, and and really an entertaining game, but uh, I think they, they still won at Lambeau. I know it's going to be difficult, but I, I definitely have a far better feeling about the Giants this week than I did against Minnesota. Yeah, I'm going to go Green Bay here. First of all, who in the hell makes the schedules? I mean, is there no way to get... You know, if, if two teams are on a bye one week, is, is there not a way to get them to play the next week? It's ridiculous. I mean, why, why do the Giants have to go Monday to Sunday, both on the road while Green Bay gets a bye? That is, it's preposterous, really. But I think, I think that's a big edge, and I think, you're right, it's strength against weakness, weakness against strength. And I, 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 like, I like Green Bay's offense against a depleted Giants defense, and I, and I think turnovers are big, and I like Green Bay's turnover margin against the Giants. Maybe one miscue might be the difference there. Gotcha. Well, I can certainly see that. All right, Art. We'll wrap up this great podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And I will I'll, I will see you on Sunday night, Art. Absolutely, Bill. Thanks a lot. So love doing these locked-on uh, crossovers. So locked-on Packers, locked-on Giants. We're, uh, you know, hey, this has gone great, and I really appreciate you, uh, you having me on. I appreciate it, too. Thanks a lot. See you Sunday night. Sounds good, Bill. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. The list.